somewhere between mile 65 and 70, I took one poll that was just a little bit harder to see what the response would be. And I got a gap. And so I just went off the front. And for the next 35 or so miles, I rode pretty much entirely alone. And there were a couple times throughout that that I caught myself thinking, what if I win today? And it was super emotional. Like even out there, I would catch myself like, what if I win today? And I would like almost like skip a breath because it just was such a, it wasn't what I had expected standing on that start line. It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we talking about practice. Hey, Pete, on the dude's run. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk black Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Pace and McCalvin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back and welcome to our Lead Boat recap episode. It's also a Leadville 100 recap episode and SBT Gravel recap episode. Thanks to all of y'all who sent in your 30 to 60 second sound bites for this opening montage. This has quickly become really my favorite section of these recap episodes. Obviously, these are a little bit different. They're not a single long form interview like is typical for this podcast. Uh, we have kind of a handful of mini sections, some mini interviews, uh, Q&A section, and of course, this opening montage. These episodes would not happen without y'all's participation. So thank you so much for pitching in. Also, a big thank you to Hammerhead for supporting this episode. Um, because these episodes are pretty complicated to produce, they take a lot of extra time. Uh, Lily spends at least three or four times as long producing these episodes as a typical one, and that takes extra support. So thank you, Hammerhead, for helping make that happen. Thank you also, Hammerhead, for creating the best GPS cycling computer ever. The Karoo 2 is my go-to, has been for years now. I often talk about their climber feature because it's just so next level, so incredible. Um, and I really, really relied on it, especially at Steamboat, uh, because in the later stages of that race with 20 to 30 miles to go, when Keegan and I were just doing everything we could to bring Freddie Ovette back in his early breakaway, it was really helpful to know how much elevation gain we had left or the steepness of the climb we were on, because truth be told, I was clinging. Keegan is on a totally different level this year. Um, and it was very, very helpful to know mentally and tactically exactly how many feet were left climbing wise on the climb we were on or what percentage grades were coming up. Big thank you to Hammerhead for just being next level, regardless of whether you're a racer or a recreational rider or a commuter or some of everything, the crew too is the GPS for you. And for a limited time, you listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew too. Just visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code all caps STASH at checkout. Just add both the Carew 2 and the heart rate strap to your cart. Go to hammerhead.io, use code STASH. 
Also, a big thank you to new podcast supporter and new personal brand partner as well, 1UP USA. These guys make the best bike racks in the world. Um, I knew that I wanted to work with 1UP for a while, and I'm so glad that it eventually did come to fruition. These are award-winning products. They're 100% made in America. They have a lifetime warranty, and they even come with free shipping on large orders. Um, I got myself their two bike rack uh, heavy duty rack and then added because you can do this really cool modular add on two extra trays uh, to turn the rack into a quad so I can carry four bikes and these these racks are so incredibly engineered like beautifully elegantly engineered with their rack arm closure uh, system it's just you know when you get your hands on some piece of equipment and the engineering is just beautifully elegant. That's how these one-up racks are, but they're also so dang sturdy and durable. Each one of the bike rack slots is rated for up to 50 pounds. So on my quad rack, I could carry 200 pounds worth of bikes. So basically like four massive DH bikes or even e-bikes. Way cool. Um, If you'd like to check out one-up racks, you can go to oneup-usa. Dot com. Lastly, I want to say a big thank you to Lifetime Events for supporting these recap episodes. Uh, they really believe in what we're doing with these episodes. And like I said, they're pretty complicated to produce um, and they're a lot more costly to produce. And Lifetime is committed to making sure we can continue to put them out. Lifetime Events is also committed uh, to just running the best events out there. It's really incredible, the portfolio of events that Lifetime has at this point. Obviously, the Leadville 100 is one of their crown jewels. Unbound is up there. Um, but the portfolio is vast these days. It includes running events. The Leadville 100 run just happened yesterday and today, maybe, I guess. Um, but there are there are all kinds of events for all kinds of riders. You can go to my.lifetime.life slash athletic events to check out what the schedule looks like. There are a good, awesome few still coming this year. And of course, it'll be a stacked schedule again next year. So go check it out at my.lifetime.life slash athletic events. Thank you all so much for listening and we will catch you after the show. Hey, Payson, it's Mindy from Iowa. I was at Steamboat Gravel, rode the green course, figured that would probably be the safest bet being a flatlander in elevation. Uh, Had a great time. That uh, last big climb was kind of killer for me, but uh, that three mile descent was so good. (laughs) I just laughed the whole time. Hey, this is Daniel from Miami, and I raced Leadville this weekend and didn't go like I expected. I got pulled off the course at Twin Lakes inbound, and that was probably the lowest point of the race. But the high point is being at the back of the race, you get to bomb down Columbine all by yourself and put yourself in a position where you may die. And what am I looking forward to? Probably going up a flight of stairs without being out of breath. Hey, Payson, it's Brandon Smith, Elk Ridge, Utah. I finished my ninth Leadville 100 with another big belt buckle. I was four minutes faster this year than last year. That makes eight big buckles and one small one. I love everything about the Leadville 100, especially the old mines, the scenery, and seeing your friends at some point during the race since it's an out and back. The feed zones and the energy inside them sometimes make me feel like I'm in the Tour de France for just a second. 
The best part of the race for me was having all of my kids run across the finish line with me. Next, I am looking forward to helping my boys in their NICA High School MTB races this fall. Thanks, and we'll see you in Leadville next year for my 1,000-mile buckle. This is Joshua from Denver. I raced the red this year, although I did the blue last year. My race was super chill. I was riding party pace so I could ride with a friend instead of racing like I did last year. The high point actually came after the race. Um, we circled back to the finish line to catch the last couple finishers as it was getting dark and we got to see Meg Fisher, the Paralympian, finish with her team, which was just crazy inspiring. And then slightly after her, um, a dude came through on a a fixie, hand rode the black on a fixie, and it was just, man, the most epic finishing in a race you you could imagine. I It was cooler than the pros race, no offense. Um, you know, next I'm looking forward to doing a bunch of uh, trying some marathon XE racing. Hi, Payson, this is Hugh Chung from Fullerton, California, and my SPD gravel was in some ways better than expected as well as uh, definitely worse. High points would include just being able to finish in a pretty strong manner despite being injured uh, shortly before the race. Um, you actually gave me some words of encouragement through your own uh, struggles that you have been overcoming, and I got to meet you and share a picture with you, so that was definitely a high point. Low point was being caught out in Trout Creek during the ferocious rain and hail and wind. Uh, I was actually borderline hypothermia. Uh, I was shivering and getting nauseous and blurred vision and I almost called it, but uh, I was able to make it to the aid station on the loop back out again by hammering that climb, trying to warm up. Felt like I could make it through and I, I did. And I'm next looking forward to hopefully uh, BWR Cedar City, but um, I may actually be having to take a pause because I am in uh, medicine and uh, might be going to Ukraine for uh, a special project to teach trauma over there. Hey, I'm Kathy Wagi from Durango, Colorado. I needed a super challenge after being massively stagnant and unmotivated for over five years post-children and Leadville seemed like a rad goal to accomplish. It's the ultimate mountain bike race and felt like if I can do this, I can literally do anything I put my mind to. Being new to mountain biking, I immersed myself in the sport over two years and luckily got in through the lottery. The journey was extremely tough, but the cherry on top was well-deserved and I surprised myself with a 10-hour flat finish. The toughest part was the trudge up power line. However, heading down seemed like it should have been the relief, but I sobbed and wept loudly in pain and took the entire downhill to compose myself. The high point was hugging my children and husband in the finish line shoot, who finished 15 minutes behind. There was definitely a moment after Twin Lakes outbound that I was convinced he'd divorce me, but luckily we're still happily married. Next up is uh, being a rad example for my girls and continuing to encourage them to be brave and do scary things. Leadville is the best. This is Tara from Centennial, Colorado. I'm a recovering triathlete and eight months ago, I bought my first gravel bike and signed up for SBT. The highlight of my day was bombing down Cow Creek on the way back into town with a huge stupid grin on my face. That was the culmination of a summer during which training was fun again and really brought out the joy and excitement 
that after 20 years of doing triathlon, I was no longer finding in that sport. I will definitely be back for more. Hey, this is Sean from Ohio, raced in the Leadville 100 mile 20-ish going down power line bombing it crashed got knocked out concussion don't even know how the crash happened don't remember that i ended up in the hospital broken collarbone so what i'm looking forward to next is getting healed up getting back and finishing this is jacob from ohio first time leadville rider here in the 2022 leadville 100 my race was truly amazing. It's one of those things I had suffered some mechanicals and just bad days out in my last few hundred mile races. And so it was just welcomed to have such a nice smooth day in the mountains. I'd say definitely my high point from the race was just the Leadville community. I was so shocked every time I came into Twin Lakes. Um, I was almost like filled with tears or overwhelmed with gratitude just with how many people were out there in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. And so to see everyone out there was so cool. I think the low point for me was the sugarloaf descent late in the race. My hands were done and that rocky descent just kind of sent me. I actually got off the bike at uh, where it turns into Hagerman's there and just like did a quick little thank you dance with my hands and shook out my body just to get the rest of the way home. Up next, I've got uh, some running on the docket, hopefully doing some backyard ultras and stuff this fall back on foot but we'll be hoping to uh, get some long rides in still with my buddy who's going to be riding the dirty water route uh, race hosted by a local bike shop across the state of Ohio from the southernmost point to the northmost point so looking forward to uh, some big days out on the bike. Hey, this is Tanner Dunn from Denver, Colorado. I'd say all things considered, my race went pretty well. Uh, I've only put about 600 miles on the bike this year and the majority of those miles were on Zwift. Uh, about 90 of those were on a gravel bike and that was the first time I'd ridden a gravel bike. So uh, going to the, this race, I just wanted to take the first 20 or 30 miles, treat it more like a well-supported ride, get a feel for the bike, how my pace was, uh, how I was feeling. And lucky enough, I paired up with a few other riders about 20 or 30 miles in, and they were pretty strong. They were pulling, we were just taking turns kind of rotating. And so uh, it was about mile 70 or one of the eight stations I lost them at and realized there were about 30 cyclists sucking in our draft, which I don't blame them, but uh, stopping off for water cost me about 30 spots, which was a little frustrating. Definitely a low point, but I still finished in a, a decent spot, so I was feeling pretty good after it. Uh, but I wanna take what I learned from this year, apply it to next year, and hopefully do a, a much better job next year. Hi, Payson, this is Sam from San Rafael, California. I completed my first Leadville uh, Trail 100 this past Saturday. Uh, it was a great experience. Um, it's the first time I've ever ridden a mountain bike 100 miles or more, um, and only my fourth time ever riding more than 100 miles, so uh, it was quite the challenge. Uh, high points were just being there. Um, the atmosphere, the scenery, it was just amazing from start to finish. Low points were definitely the last little bit of Columbine, as everybody can appreciate, and about mile 80 to 84 uh, going up and over power line. Um, Next up for me is a little break from racing, just to enjoy things, and uh, hopefully uh, another Leadville in my future. 
Hey, Kason, this is Austin. I'm from Costa Mesa, California, and I did the Leadville 100 last Saturday. Had a great experience. It was my first time doing Leadville, really my first year doing any racing at all at 33 years old. So I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I was able to finish in 11 hours and 34 minutes and get a buckle, which was really my whole goal. Uh, in terms of high and low points, my low point was early. Uh, going up St. Kevin's, I intentionally started really slow and that backfired on me a bit. Got stuck up in some congestion uh, and then I had a mechanical issue that took me about 10 minutes to resolve at the top. Uh, and that put me at real risk of not making the cutoffs early in the race, which I, I didn't expect to happen. Uh, in terms of high points, I went into panic mode a little bit. I went up Columbine really faster than I had planned to. Passed uh, over 200 people on the way up. And by the time I got to the top, still felt pretty good and knew that I was back in the hunt for a buckle. So outside of finishing, that was definitely a high point of the race for me. Uh, next, I'm looking forward to coming back to Leadville again. Put another year of training under my belt. Come back with a better strategy. Uh, and then I've also convinced my twin brother to come out and race with me. So we're gonna we're gonna do it as a unit next year, and just really looking forward to uh, to getting back to work. All right, let's jump into the Q&A portion of this recap episode. Uh, these Q&A sections have sort of become a staple of our recap episodes. It seems like they're appreciated by many of y'all. Uh, and per usual, I put a question sticker out on my Instagram a few days ago and fielded questions. I was very relieved to see that not even a majority of the questions involved the SBT aid stations. Much appreciated. Uh, really am glad to see that y'all's interests extend beyond that, beyond uh, silly controversy. Um, but I'll just address it at the top because there were a decent number of questions for uh, folks wanting insight into that. For those that missed it all, basically um, a, a significant number of the folks writing for results, writing for the win, top 5, 10, 15, whatever, um, made the decision to skip the uh, neutral aid stations for SBT. Um, and that was primarily for the reason that at SBT, unlike most other gravel events that I've done, there is no crew support allowed. It's all neutral aid stations. So there are quite a few of them out there. And honestly, they're really well stocked. They're awesome. Um, really appreciate that. SBT does it this way. I know many, many people appreciate the setup and benefit from it. Um, but kind of the the weird wrinkle that makes those aid stations challenging for those of us in the lead group is that this course, the Steamboat Gravel course, although long, is not particularly selective, especially early on, which means that the lead group stays really big. Um, we're talking anywhere from 40 to 60 riders, maybe even more. And when you have a handful of water coolers and, you know, food and, and that sort of thing at an aid station and you have 40, 50, 60, however many racers in the lead group just come hauling ass into one of these aid stations, it is carnage because we're all fighting over coolers, fighting over food. And inevitably, there's just not enough to go around for the tight window of time we're trying to restrict our stop to. And so over the now three years that I've done this event, I've noticed over time 
gradually, it seems like those of us in the lead group have come to rely on these aid stations less and less because if you happen to be towards the back of the group going into one of these aid stations, you're standing there waiting to fill up your bottles for a decent amount of time. Um, and with a group that big, it's just really hard to get cohesion and like agreement and folks saying, yeah, we're just going to sit on our top tubes and wait for everyone to fill their bottles. That's just not really the mindset 50 plus motivated racers are in. So, uh, it seemed like the majority of folks looking to do a good result just said, you know what, we're just going to ride straight through. We're going to start with all of the supplies we need, all of the hydration we need, all the food we need and just skip the carnage that is those aid stations. I was certainly one of the folks that decided to do that, and and many others were. Um, a couple of the contenders did not decide to do that, and so we're pretty uh, surprised, shall we say, when a lot of people just rode through the aid stations and didn't stop. Um, I was a little surprised at their surprise because I feel like if someone has five bottles on them and or a hydration pack that's <laughs> a pretty good clue that folks are just going to ride through um but anyway it led to a little bit of uh post-race controversy i actually was completely naive to it um until someone said hey what do you think of uh pete's instagram story post i i didn't even know what they were talking about i was so dead dog tired um that I, I just was not looking at my phone. I was eating and I was laying in bed and counting down the minutes until I had to get out of bed to go to the podium, which frankly I was kind of dreading. So anyway, it was a bit of a, bit of a surprise. Um, blew up way bigger than it needed to, but I kind of understand why, because the, the greater cycling community is just sort of primed for some sort of weird controversy to come out of a gravel race now. Uh, it, it happens frequently. Um, and one of the questions I got in the question sticker is, what is it about gravel that seems to lead to so much frequent controversy for, you know, silly little reasons? Um, and I think part of it is just growing pains, but also it's not just specific to gravel. I mean, think about, and I understand too, because there are a lot of people who are in cycling who don't pay attention to sports outside of cycling, but anyone who does will know that controversy and little squabbles is not specific to gravel racing. It's definitely not specific to cycling. Um, anyone that I'm going to use basketball as an example, because that's a sport that I really enjoy. Anyone that watches basketball, watch a post game press conference and tell me there's not controversy. I mean, the star players, the coaches, everyone is talking about blown foul calls or, you know, James Harden took three steps again on his step back three, or um, I can't believe how much Marcus Smart is flopping. It's like, it's not a gravel thing. It's a sport thing, especially when the sport has significantly subjective elements. Think about Olympic gymnastics. How much controversy do we see with the way that those are scored? Anything, I mean, even something like Red Bull Rampage, frequently the fans disagree with the judges on who had the best run because it is subjective. And the thing going on with gravel right now is that there are fewer rules than other types of cycling. Uh, and so there's more room for subjectivity. And so it's just bound to happen. Um, 
Now, the question of whether I think there should be more rules is sort of, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of open on that, deciding. Um, at the end of the day, no no rules were broken by any means. Um, but I mean, even in something like the World Tour, think about how there's frequently controversy about, you know, uh, someone uh, drafted a car longer than they should have when they were coming back from a flat. Like there's, even in the, the higher echelons of cycling, uh, there is controversy due to subjectivity and it's just kind of part and parcel with the thing. So ultimately I think it's kind of funny that it blew up as big as it did online. But of course, folks on social media who are not at the race and not participating, uh, you know, are going to get their 30 second giggle out of, of that sort of things. It's just sort of the way our, our world works. Fortunately, it seems like everyone involved has very much moved on at this point. Um, and I think it's fair to say that we'll see a lot of hydration packs uh, at the start of Steamboat next year. All right. First official question. Are you a stop to pee or pee while riding kind of guy? Definitely pee while riding. Uh, it's something that took a little bit of practice, but not too much practice. And now not only does it save time, but it saves a lot of energy. Um, and I've gotten good at it to where I know exactly what moment in the race to do it how to do it effectively and uh, quickly. So definitely while moving. How good are recovery boots? They feel incredible. Um, in terms of the hierarchy of recovery, of course, sleep and nutrition and that sort of thing are top of the pyramid for sure. But everything from massage to recovery boots to, you know, um, massage guns, foam rollers, all that sort of thing. All of those little things add up. Uh, and I certainly uh, got a massage and was in recovery boots uh, after Leadville and before Steamboat and after Steamboat. What did recovery between the two events look like? Also, I guess I should explain what the heck Leadboat is real quick for those who maybe are listening to this podcast and weren't super keyed into to the race weekend. The Leadville 100 happens on Saturday of this past weekend, huge mountain bike race. Obviously, uh, I actually had a fun conversation with Eddie Anderson, right on the start of Leadville. And we kind of looked at each other. And I think in the moment, just both realized that we simultaneously were having this moment of appreciation for, uh, just being on that start line and the energy and the hype. And I said, Eddie, I feel like this race is the most iconic race cycling race in North America. Any, any discipline. Uh, and he paused and he was like, I was thinking the exact same thing last night as I was trying to fall asleep. It's just, there's nothing bigger, uh, arguably very few things more prestigious to win. Uh, it attracts people from all over the world and is just such a bucket list participation for anyone. So that, that star line was electric. But anyway, there's the Leadville 100 and then Steamboat Gravel is the very next day on Sunday. And because Steamboat and Lifetime are such awesome organizations that um, are friendly with each other, they decided to collaborate and create this crazy combined competition. So uh, a handful of us, I think it was actually pretty good this year, like 90 of us total maybe, um, decided to race both Leadville, Leadville and Steamboat because they're only a two and a half hour drive away. And it is probably the toughest doubleheader I've ever done. Um, did it last year, uh, and 
despite it being really hard, really enjoyed it. So I wanted to do it again this year. So that's what lead boat is. Anyway, what did recovery between the two events look like? Ketones question mark. Uh, I'm not a ketone guy. I have tried them. I have experimented with them a little bit, but personally I have not felt much benefit uh, and certainly not enough benefit to justify the cost personally. Uh, I know other people seem to swear by them. Uh, certainly some folks on the world tour, some of the world tour teams um, drink them down like water from what I've heard. But um, personally I have not felt a ton of benefit. And so what I focused on was sleep, nutrition, um, and rehydration. Really rehydration is probably the most critical thing uh, first and foremost. So I downed two full bottles of, of high sodium drink right at the finish line. And then I had my recovery drink. So that's three tall bottles while I, before I even finished the left the race corral. And even so then when I peed a little bit later, my urine color was pretty gnarly, like definite dehydration. And that's just a sheer, that's purely up to, um, the sheer effort and also the elevation. It pretty much doesn't matter how well you hydrate during the race. You're, 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 rehydration is going to be key afterward. I had a dear friend and longtime kind of like soigneur for me, Jenny, uh, this wonderful woman named Jenny along with me who um, cooked all of our meals for everybody uh, for the race weekend. So Matt, my mechanic, uh, Nicole, myself, um, the other person we had helping in the aid stations, Tim and Jenny. So we had a pretty big squad support squad this weekend and she cooked all the meals for us so that was really nice we had really good well-rounded healthy meals right off the bat uh and then i slept while or i tried i didn't fall asleep but i tried to sleep while we drove uh laid down in the back of the rv um and then did my best to get to bed early but could not sleep um and i think i ended up sleeping four hours after leadville and before steamboat and yeah, woke up with a 9% recovery score as someone references in one of their other questions, which is pretty, that's what happened last year. I mean, I think even if you like miraculously slept seven hours, eight hours, something like that, uh, you, the recovery score is going to be in the basement. Leadville is just such a monumental effort. But what's crazy is how your body just clicks back into gear for Steamboat. Like, yeah, it's really hard, um, but when the gun goes off and you're back in that race situation, uh, for me at least, the first hour can be a little tough and then your body just kind of warms back up. And I ended up feeling pretty damn good, if I'm honest, like surprisingly good. Um, and then, of course, the last hour and a half was a total trudge and everything was falling apart physically, but I guess that's to be expected. Congrats on a good race. What is your favorite race? I want to visit Colorado. Cheers from Norway. Great question. Um, favorite race? That's tough. It kind of depends. It, it's it depends on the time of year. Um, depends on what I'm interested in that year. Some of my favorites, though, are the Rule of Three in Bentonville, Arkansas. I just think that's a really fun mix of surfaces. Traditionally done on drop bar bikes, but many people do it on mountain bikes. Uh, wider tires, man, this is a, that's a tough one. I've done so many awesome events at this point. All time favorite event was single speed worlds in 2018 in Bend, Oregon, but that was a one-off of course. Um, 
I really like the Oz Trails off-road. Unfortunately, that's not an event right now. Hoping it comes back soon, but uh, good course for me. You know, rolling, pretty challenging physically, but no ultra-long climbs. So the little whipper, snapper, climber guys, uh, that playing field's a little more evened. Um, But man, I got to be honest, Leadville is such a unique, special event. Uh, it doesn't obviously have the most engaging or challenging single track in the world as a mountain biker. I wouldn't mind in some hypothetical world that race, including more challenging mountain biking, but just the energy, the history, the prestige, all that's really hard to beat. How is your recovery protocol different for a lead boat back to back versus a Saturday to Saturday? Um, well, a Saturday to Saturday, honestly, depending on the race, unless it's something like Unbound, recovery happens pretty quickly, like probably a couple of days, uh, and then you're back into training. Um, post lead boat, though, to be honest, I've taken this entire week super chill. I'm recording this on Saturday, and today I rode two and a half hours and got after it just a little bit on a few climbs just for fun, but it was a pretty freeform ride, no real structure. Um, and tomorrow's just kind of straight three hour endurance also. So nothing crazy at all. Um, it really takes a bite out of you. It's not quite unbound status in terms of the hole you dig, but in terms of load, it's actually pretty similar load to unbound just spread over two days. It's, it's a little more load, but it's spread over two days. You get to sleep in the middle, obviously. So that helps a little bit. Anything you would do different hydration or nutrition wise to fight off cramps? Um, maybe taking some pickle juice or a hot shot uh, right as the cramps came on, but that's tough. I mean, you're just, the body is so depleted and just destroyed. Like the damage to the muscles is so deep from Leadville um, that I don't know. There's a whole lot you can do. I mean, even someone like Keegan who here in the States is sort of like, you know, on the, on the leading edge of physical preparedness, he was cramping like crazy too. Um, at the finish line, he was not in a good way. So I don't know that there's anything you can really do to, to make yourself immune to that. How understanding our sponsors when you don't perform to expectation or podium, uh, understanding, um, I've worked with brands in the past who have a tendency to somewhat passive aggressively, you know, want to put pressure on you but I don't work with any brands right now where that's the case. Uh, and, and that's great. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, when you're at this level, you are probably pretty savagely competitive and want to do it to do good results. And, uh, it, you're to, to be successful at this level of cycling, you have to be extremely intrinsically motivated. Uh, and personally, I've never, or I should say not recently had brands or sponsors kind of like pester me about trying to get back on track one way or the other. Um, and also, I mean, it, this year, especially like I've had great form, the majority of the races, just a lot of bad luck. And that's, that's pretty self evident. Like there's not a whole lot you can do when you give folks like Keegan and Russell and Cole Patton a head start partway through the race. Um, but by and large, yes, yeah, sponsors are good. They know they know we're professionals. They know why we're doing it, and they they know we want to succeed also. If anything, they usually kind of try to step up and say, hey, is there anything we can do to help you 
meet your goals. And that's a really great thing to hear from a sponsor, especially when it doesn't feel like pressure. It feels like support. What did you think when you saw your 9% recovery on Whoop before starting SBT? Um, last year, I just laughed. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so rough. This year, I was prepared for it because I did it last year. Um, and so it just kind of is what it is. Also, side note, something that might be of interest. I had a 31% recovery score going into Leadville, which is also in the red, which is sort of weird. Um, and I think was probably high elevation related. Um, I'm thinking about maybe trying to stay somewhere outside of Leadville next year at lower elevation. I found that I really struggle. The combination of just like the anticipation and the self-imposed pressure the night before Leadville and then also the incredibly high elevation. I just do not sleep before Leadville. Like if I get an hour or two, that's good. Like if I fall asleep, this sounds insane, but I swear I'm telling you the truth. If I fall asleep at, at all the night before Leadville, that's a win. Um, and so, uh, and, and Leadville's the only race like that. Like I do plenty of other, you know, high profile events that I, I am putting pressure on myself to do well at, but whatever it is, I think it's that combination of it being the most prestigious race I do. And then also, uh, the elevation is a really tough combo for sleep. So the recovery score was not go great going into Leadville either. What did your stomach feel like after this effort? How did you manage fueling? Uh, eat early, eat often, drink early, drink often during for sure. Um, I was taking down 80 to 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour. And I don't, I don't think it's the ride food as much as just the sheer effort. Like you are putting, you're, you're, it's such a violent thing you're doing to your body that all of the other normal physiological processes just kind of seem to shut down a little bit to a degree. So my, my stomach was pretty torn up after both Leadville, uh, and steamboat. Um, probably more so after steamboat, because instead of chasing that effort with recovery drinks and all kinds of, uh, health and, and performance related products, I think I had three beers in pretty quick succession, which, uh, was highly enjoyable and celebratory, but not particularly good on the stomach. Are you sold on full suspension bikes for Leadville? I am. I am. I've done, uh, I've done a good, I've done good results both on hardtails and full sus at Leadville. Uh, I talked to Todd Wells about this some and Keegan before the race. And they're both of the mind that it's kind of a wash, uh, meaning the hardtail excels in certain points and the full sus excels on certain points. My full sus, my ally BC 40 is so freaking light that it just makes sense for me to ride that full sus. Um, it's only two pounds heavier than, than, uh, a, an insane light hardtail. Um, and just the added efficiency is, is really beneficial. And also it, it kind of complements the way that my riding style has evolved over the years, which is a little bit more like dieselish. early in my career. I was more of a snappy rider coming out of Texas. Um, didn't really have that like long bomb threshold power. Um, but now I, you know, stay seated more, try to uh, maintain a more even pace. Um, and oftentimes the full suspension is just a little bit more uh, well-suited to that style. Simply why is the next question. I think that probably has to do with why Leadboat. It's just a fun challenge. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe until you do it, but being sort of one of the 
elite few <laughs> where you race Leadville and then are crazy enough to line up the next morning on virtually no sleep for uh, uh, an equally massive effort the very next day as it's the crack of dawn. It, it's just, you're almost giddy. Like the, <laughs> those of us that were doing lead boat, I remember looking around at the start line of steamboat and we just sort of like have this wry smile, like, yeah, we're doing this. We're doing this. This is uh the few, the proud. <laughs> so there's a little, little pride involved. And also, um, I don't know. It's so stupid, but it's a little bit of like, because it's their mentality. Um, I hate it when people use that explanation for when they go do big stuff, but there, I feel like there is something to it. Like you feel like you're unlocking, uh, unlocking, a another level of yourself kind of in a way. I don't know. That, that one is hard for me to put words to, but I suggest trying it. How do you think the bigger gravel races should handle the feed zones to minimize the carnage? Um, I think the racers, those of us at the front are just kind of figuring out how to self police to an extent, even though it's messy at times and involves silly social media tiffs. Ultimately, I think that something that's really important to remember here is the feed zones and, and related rules should not be geared towards the needs of the pros because we are a very small percentage of the race. And that's one of the things that really annoyed me about the online controversy is it's just like, guys, let's keep this freaking in perspective. Like we are such a narrow aspect of this event. And the fact that we're talking about this right now online, instead of, you know, Meg Fisher, Paralympian doing lead boat, like we don't have a priority straight in terms of what we're discussing right now. And so, uh, it's up to the events and I hope the events continue to prioritize the, the majority rather than those of us that are like focused and performance minded. We'll figure it out. We're already, like, we already kind of did. We threw on hydration packs and a couple people didn't think of it and they got bummed that they didn't think of it next year. They'll think of it. <laughs> uh, how'd the BC 40 do on course other than bottoming the front shock? Any re- any regrets? I mean, I certainly re- regret not setting up my fork better. Um, and I regret not running an insert in the front tire. But no, other than that, that bike was freaking mint. I was so stoked on it. And I can't wait to race it again next year. Looks like it was a year of flats for many of y'all. Especially, was it especially rocky or rutted this year? I did feel like it was a little rockier and chunkier. Um, hard to say. There were definitely more ruts. Um, yeah, I felt like it was slightly bonier out there this year. Give a little insight on your training, just a bit about interval examples and volume. Well, that ebbs and flows a lot. Um, let's see. I have my laptop in front of me. I could pull up training peaks here, training peaks here real quick. Give you a little window. Um, it's funny. I feel like pros are far less guarded with their training than was the case even just 10 years ago. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty sweet to see guys like SAP and, and Matthew Vanderpool publish their power files from the tour and all that sort of thing. But, um, so anyway, that, that is to say, I don't really mind giving some insight here. So let's see, Leadville Steamboat. The week before, uh, I did less than I typically would. Um, I did, let's see, Monday I did 
20 minute spin with the dog. Tuesday, I did a 40 minute endurance spin in the morning with a couple of little sprints just to kind of activate and get the the metabolism going. And then I did our Tuesday night world's group ride, which is super spicy. There's loads of pros that live in Durango. So it's just an awesome road group ride simulation. Um, because I live up in the Hills a little bit, that ends up being a little longer for me every time. So that was about a three hour ride with the middle being just flat out race. And then it was full on rest mode. So Wednesday, super easy hour, Thursday, 20 minutes, super easy. Friday was an hour with a few openers. Uh, and I did like a, I think it was a five minute threshold ramp and then just a few little sprints. In terms of training, so the week before that, I did about 18 hours. Um, one thing we have done this summer is incorporate a bit more structure than I have in the last few years. Um, a lot of rides with like big steady state effort load on the front and then really high intensity, short, sharp stuff late and, and longer. How do I want to say this? Okay. As an example. So here is August 4th. So I'm gradually beginning to taper at this point. Nothing crazy yet. Like definitely still staying on the gas, but kind of pulling back just a touch. And that day's workout was three and a half hours. And I had a 20 minute warm up, just endurance, one hour block of tempo, one hour block of endurance, and then 10 one minute VO2s. Um, that's pretty hard. That's not a crazy workout, but that's definitely like you feel that for sure. The week before that, let's see, let's find a key workout there. Oh yeah. This one was a doozy. All right. This was kind of like the last real get in the coal mine and just hack away at work most of the day. So this was a five hour ride. This was Saturday, July 30th. This is exactly two weeks pre Leadville. The ride was one hour endurance. Now keep in mind, this is not like lollygag endurance. This is, uh, you know, on the gas, on the road bike. Um, it's about, you know, 19 to 20 miles an hour for me, 136 to 146 BPM. So an hour of that, and then right into an hour of tempo, just hour straight at like 160 BPM, then another hour of endurance on the gas endurance. So right there, that's three hours of a pretty good number of kilojoules and, uh, just load. Like you are ripping through calories doing that. Hour four, four 10 minute thresholds. I'd never done this workout and I expected my 10 minute numbers to be higher, but I was trudging. Like this was hard. Um, and I could tell it was a really good, solid, like turn off your brain, don't worry about the numbers and just dig um, and get it done. And there was just five minutes between each of those 10 minutes. So four by 10 is 40, four by five is 20. So that's another hour of work. That's hour four. And then cap it with another five hour endurance at the end. So that was a 96 mile ride with 8,200 feet of climbing. It was hard. That's probably enough insight on training for now. There's a little, little taste. Rose, 
bud and thorn of the weekend? Well, the thorn is obvious. I think um, having a mechanical issue early on in Leadville definitely was a massive bummer. I would anyone who follows me on Instagram will know this. I was as bummed after Leadville this year as I have been after a race, maybe ever. Um, I know this summer I have as good a fitness as I've ever had. And so to lose out, uh, the opportunity to be at the front of that race and competitive in that race, um, not to mention really kind of spelling the end of my Grand Prix hopes, uh, because I already used my one drop race, um, with being injured for sea otter. So it's just, man, the grand prix has been tough for me this year, obviously missing sea otter, um, COVID two and a half weeks before, uh, unbound, not ideal, uh, on an amazing day at crusher puncture there had a good enough day though, that I was able to salvage a bit and get back to fifth and then puncture again at Leadville. So, um, I mean, technically if you count getting COVID, two and a half weeks before I'm bound as an issue. I haven't had a Grand Prix race yet where something didn't go wrong. So hoping to turn that around in the last, uh, last couple of events, but it, it did feel really good to bounce back and have a solid race at steamboat without a doubt. Um, Rose of the weekend, I guess just having a really solid ride at SBT. That was extremely gratifying. Uh, it's funny. We'll get into this a little bit more, but I knew that I was not going to out sprint Keegan for sure. Um, but just being able to go kind of toe to toe with him to the line um, and uh, and just have a solid race start to finish. Such a freaking relief. Any setup changes for the BC 40 after your first race on it? Um, just more fork pressure and a, a front insert. That's all. Do you think you had the right setup for Leadville or should you have ridden a hardtail with a dropper? Uh, I went over this. I, I really like the setup. I like the full sus, the light full sus. Of course, it, I mean, let's be honest. High posting is not fun. The only time that I ride a high post all year is for Leadville and then now for Schwamigan. Um, and also would do it for Sea Otter. <laughs> so all the Grand Prix mountain bike races. But... uh it's not, it's not fun to high post, but you know, it's a lot of weight savings. And when you're doing something like Leadville that has so much climbing, it makes sense. Thoughts on Ian Boswell's SBT support. Is he the incarnation of the spirit of gravel? Boswell is just an awesome person. Uh, he knows what he wants. He knows how he contribute to how he can contribute to uh, supporting other people's cycling goals. And I think it is awesome what he did at Steamboat. He, okay, so for those that don't know, Ian Boswell won Unbound last year. It was, I think, third at Unbound this year. Uh, was raced the tour a couple times. Without a doubt, he is um, the, one of the top gravel racers in the country, for sure. But he also is pretty well retired mentally and emotionally, I would say. He has a young family. He has a real job normal job. Um, and so when he doesn't feel like being on for a race, he goes out there to be a good ambassador of the sport and help other people enjoy the sport. So 
that's what he did. He rode an e-bike at SBT, um, tail gunned it, was kind of a, a cheerleader for everybody. And, and I think it's awesome. I'm a massive Boswell fan. Knowing Keegan's finishing time, do you feel you could have taken the win sans puncture? Uh, sans flat. Um, no. No. No one is beating Keegan this year. He won by, I think it was 15 minutes. And he did the entire second half by himself. And that course has a lot of drafting. So he was riding solo and still pulling more time on everybody. No, I would not have beaten Keegan at Leadville. Uh, I like to think that I could have podiumed or, or been in that conversation. Um, but it's really hard to say. And I've learned over the years that it's not really even worth dwelling on or, or trying to extrapolate. There will be more opportunities. Do most pro women and men bike the entire Columbine and Powerline climb without walking? Uh, as far as I know, yes. Um, I haven't climbed those climbs around uh, the pro women before, but based on what I know about those top ladies uh, and, and the rides that I have done with them, I'm almost positive that they they all ride it. What does it mean to say negative group dynamics is it shit talking it kind of devolves into shit talking good question i'm going to spend a minute on this because to me this was the actual controversy controversy of steam mode not the feed zone so negative group dynamics is when typically it's when there is a breakaway up the road which we had at steamboat a very strong breakaway with freddie john borstelman can't remember the other guy's name great riders um and it is when a typically large-ish peloton behind cannot cooperate to work together to bring that move back. Um, and the way this has, in my experience, happened in gravel is there are 20, 30, 40 riders who know they are not some of the 10 strongest, but they still want to do everything they can to finish in the top 10 and decide that the way they're going to do that is by hiding in the bunch, not contributing to any of the work to bring that back the breakaway and just gambling on the fact that the rest of us will get frustrated enough to do all the work, tie ourselves out so then they can pounce late in the race. And I understand I, I, it, it is an age old, uh, dynamic of road racing. But man, I got to tell you, it's frustrating because when you're being told Freddie Ovet has eight minutes um, and time is running out to, to bring back that break and there are literally like seven of us willing to contribute, um, it is a maddening place to be in. And what really surprised me this go around is we had guys either in the world tour currently or just out of the world tour uh, adhering to these sorts of negative group dynamics because um, they they were just banking on uh, us doing the work so that they could get a result. And it is so frustrating. And it's something I'm having to adapt to. And frankly, it got so annoying that finally Keegan screamed some pretty colorful expletives and just attacked. And I was like, hell yeah, that was baller. Um, and that's ultimately kind of how the we we leveraged our way out of that situation and 
finally found some real forward momentum to bring back that break. But geez, did we cut it close? I mean, we caught Freddie literally at the top of the very last climb. Uh, other ways that negative racing can manifest and, and probably even more, this is like the specific most, most specific example I would say, or, or going, going, a an explanation deeper is say you have a pace line. So let's say, and th- this scenario happened We're we're deep in the race. We have 12 riders in the lead chase group. So we have the breakaway with a big gap and then there's 12 to 14 of us and we're rotating through. We're trying to share the work, bring this breakaway back, um, trying to go as fast as we can while still using as little energy as possible. Technically we should have the upper hand because we have numbers. Um, but what happens is say Keegan pulls through and then I pull through and then Russell pulls through and then, you know, whoever else rolls through and then whoever is behind, let, let's say uh, Brendan Wirtz, because he was really great about rolling through. Brendan Wirtz pulls through. But then the person next behind Brennan, so Brennan pulls off, the next person who should pull through just stops pedaling. And so everyone behind that person can't pull through either. And they just completely cancel the rotation. It gets disoriented Um and, and the momentum is lost. And then those of us that just pulled off, just put in, put in an effort, have to either yell at the other people until they roll through or start rotating back in the other direction and go back to the front again after very little rest. And this is what was happening during Steamboat that was so dang frustrating. Um, and it's not uncommon. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I much prefer very selective courses where the terrain helps weed out this sort of situation more early on. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, Freddie and his crew were incredibly strong, but the reason they were able to pull out eight minutes on us is because of those really frustrating negative tactics. Moving on besides be faster. Is there anything you would have changed about your race prep? Um, I, I felt happy with the amount of fastness that I had going into this race weekend. Um, the thing I would have changed is not having a mechanical at Leadville. That's the only thing. I was very happy with the fitness I had. Do you pre-ride the course since they changed it a little bit this year? Uh, I believe the courses were the same as last year. Almost positive. I didn't notice any differences. So no, I didn't, I didn't really pre-ride. I, I know both of those courses pretty well at this point. Exactly how many watts did you lose per liter of extra fluid you carried? Um, I'd have to do a quick calculation on that, but the, the basic math is it's between two and three additional watts of output required per extra pound of weight. So I carried around 10 extra pounds of water and food at the beginning of the race, which means that for those climbs, that's something like 20 to 30 extra watts on a, on a climb, which is a lot. That's like close to a whole other zone higher. Haley Smith with a question. Shout out Haley. Source part of your body on Sunday night. Good question. Um, honestly, probably like my intercostal muscles. Those are the muscles between your ribs. I think there's just so much heavy breathing, deep breathing 
that those muscles literally got fatigued, which is kind of crazy. That's pretty unusual. I also had this weird rattle in my chest and my lungs also from, uh, 13 hours of really deep breathing at elevation. Um, my undercarriage was not in great shape. It's a lot of saddle time. In fact, in the last hour of lead or sorry, SB2 gravel, I was literally riding out of the saddle just cause it hurt to sit down. Um, those would be my top three. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening to this Q&A section. Uh, We'll do another one post-Schwamigan. Do you have any FOMO about missing Worlds this year? Not really. Yeah. It's funny. Like, I I don't miss XCO really at all. Like, Nationals was super fun, and I was stoked to race it. But I don't really miss, like, the World Cup stuff at all, you know? It's so gnarly. Obviously, I haven't done it in forever, but... I don't miss it at all either. Only those who really appreciate how fucking hard it is, you know? Well, it's just so crazy. Like, I mean, we could talk a little bit of world tour if you want it. Cause I feel like it's a, it's such an important distinction that like in a world cup, you don't just get to say, all right, I'm a tiny bit off today. I'm going to go like do a lead out instead of being the designated leader. Like you don't get right. to just change your goals mid race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're just going flat out from start to finish you yeah know? and it's just glaring if you're a tiny bit off um yeah. did you uh did you read sep's interview that uh betsy did in velo news i didn't know yeah you should check it out it's good he he had some kind kind words for you basically she was just asking what his impressions were of the u.s scene the grand prix and then also um whether he thinks you oh, could nice you could cross over it was it was really good um are you are you tired of people talking about it at all yet not really i mean it's you know it's fine um it is like an avenue that we're pursuing pretty hard right now so do you have a preference like if you can say uh in terms of a setup where you'd still get to race some dirt or would you rather just go if the opportunity was there just go all in and see uh check out your full potential yeah i mean that's definitely something i've thought a lot about the last i mean not more so the last week but also you know quite a while and i think i would like to go pretty much all in into road racing just because i think that's kind of how you have to do it if you want to have success i think that's with anything you kind of have to give it everything that said i still would love to like bounce back over here and maybe do like unbound in leadville and like one other race if i could in a perfect world you know that's like kind of the dream scenario, but obviously like race schedules and training and all that are, it's a whole different thing, but it, like, it'd be cool to at least do a little bit of gravel and off-road stuff too. Cause I still do love it. And it is really fun. And I think like these races here are so cool. So I think in a perfect world, that's what my schedule would be like if I could make it happen. Totally. So. Have you thought at all about what it would be like to have less of a self-guided, like uh, athletic experience? Like where you, there's structure and like you're told the races you're going to do, you're told the job you're going to do, you're told probably how to eat all that sort of thing. Has that, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like in some ways it sounds pretty nice because you know, right now you go out every race you go out and you try and win every event you do. Like that's the goal, right? You don't just like show up just to like race and have a good time, at least with the major events. Like sure. There's races you do just show up and you're just there to have a good time. And you know, hopefully you can have a good result, but uh, yeah, with all the major ones, like you go in trying to win. And I think 
in some ways it would be kind of nice to go in and be like, all right, you're racing for the first hundred K today. Here's your job. And then, you know, you're just whatever happens, happens. So I think there's definitely gives and takes. And I think it will be kind of cool in a different way. It just like, you know, different, uh, different lens to look at. And even if you don't win the race, if you help someone else win, then that's pretty cool too. So I think there's, you know, uh, either way, it'd be pretty sweet. I think it's like kind of gives and takes in both scenarios. Totally. How, how bummed would you be if it didn't work out? Like, I don't mean like you go and try and you decided you don't want to do it. I mean, like you don't get the opportunity, whether it be financial thing or, or whatever. Like, are you pretty fixated on this or would you be happy to continue? I mean, I'd still be pretty happy continuing what I'm doing. It's not like I'm having a bad time, you know? And like, I'm having <laughs> yeah, fun, fair. right? Like, it's not like, yeah, yeah. it's not like I hate what I'm doing by any means. I think there's even more stuff. Uh, there's still more to be done in the off-road world, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like I've done everything. I've, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff that I've wanted to do, but there's still a lot more. So I think I man, still be like plenty happy continuing kind of a similar program to what I'm doing. It's just like, you know, there's like this the question in my back of my mind, like, can I do this other discipline like can i like have some sweet results at spring classics can i race a grand tour like there's all this other stuff that would be like if i get the opportunity i'll probably take it right like it's not like it's not like i'd be like oh should i do it or should i not i think if everything aligns and i can do it then i'll i'd take it because i think it uh it's a hard thing to pass up at this point so 100 percent yeah um speaking of dirt goals um Leadville record. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I, when I saw the, what do you call the little bar things you're running on your mountain bike for Leadville? Uh, SQ lab inner bar ends. They are. Yeah. yeah. So when I saw you running those, I was like, I think Keegan might be record hunting. <laughs> <laughs> I did use them last year though, too. And I was really liked them. Oh, you did? Yeah. 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 It's a nice hand position change, but, um, did you go in with the record on your mind or was it sort of like, uh, if the pace is there as a group, I'll take a swing at it. If, if it seems like it's there for the taking. Yeah, it was kind of, uh, a bit of both. Like it was definitely on my mind, like going into the race. I was like, I think, you know, if the, like you said, the pace is there and the race is like going well, I think the record is definitely attainable. Um, so I definitely had to, kind of hold it back a little bit here on the way out. Like I, maybe I could have should have pushed a little bit harder here and there, but I was like, I didn't really know if the, the record could be set until we got to the bottom of Columbine, right? Like if they the group was messing around on like on the way out, then it just definitely wasn't going to happen. Um, but like the group was rolling pretty, pretty well together. And they're like, I think we were on pretty good pace. So from there on out, I was like, all right, I think we can do it. But in the back of my mind, it was still like win the race first record second, like don't, you know, don't blow this just by being stupid yeah. and trying to get the records. Like I knew the record was set with like a team of, you know, at least four guys off Canyon. Uh, I think it was, yeah, it was all bond. Jeremiah was fucking good back then too. And, Heineck. uh, Heineck, Yeah. Um, so anyway, they had at least three, maybe they had one more. I, I don't know. So I was like, also, I mean, I was by myself and so it's total different deal. Yeah. So I think dude, I was definitely thinking the about fact it. That you got so, so close is insane. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was pretty stoked with that. I was like, man, if I can just, if I got that close on my own without a team, having a little bit of head on the way back, like pretty stoked on that effort. Like, and just, oh yeah, the numbers alone, I was like, that was, that was pretty cool. I'm happy with that, you know, for sure. Um, so, what is the record officially? Uh, five fifty eight, and okay. it's 
I don't know exactly the seconds, but it's funny. Like say that in the race, for some reason in my head, I mean, I knew going in, it was five fifty eight, but during the race, it somehow I was like, Oh, the record's five fifty five. Like, I don't know why I had that in my head. <laughs> so I was like, well, I was like, man, I think we're, we're a little bit off pace, but I mean, it's still maybe it's doable, you know? Uh-huh. And like looking back on now, I was like, man, if I knew it was five fifty eight, and I was only like, I knew I was that close. Maybe I could have found a little bit more. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. And you're, not, you know how it is when you're racing, your brain goes to weird places. Like you're doing like white room FKT or whatever. You're like, yeah. on pace, my off pace. Like I've been out there so long and I'm like, no one knew. I tried asking the moto guys once and they, they had no idea. Right. They totally like, hardly, they, they had to go figure out a time gap and which was nice to get eventually. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I didn't really know. I didn't have any markers or anything. Cause I think if I thought that deep into it, then it might've been just too much. And I think you have to focus on winning the race first, unless your goal is to fully set the record and you have a team dedicated to helping you then, yeah. you know, totally. So, um, yeah. isn't the course longer also, it's like a mile or two longer than it's a little fun- bit longer, yeah. but, uh, apparently the elevation is a tiny bit less. And also like, cause before I remember it used to go all the way up to that cabin, uh, yeah. the end of Columbine. So I know it's a little bit longer, but like, we has taught about it and he's like, yeah, it's probably like sixes. He doesn't really, it's hard to say which one's actually faster. I'm sure one of them is actually quicker and we don't really know which one. Yeah. Um, since the course is longer now, you'd think maybe the other one is a tiny bit quicker, even if the elevation changed a little bit, just, I mean, totally. Cause now it's a Leadville 105 miles, right? It's freaking long. And yeah. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I mean, it's kind of apples to oranges in a certain respect, you know? Yeah. Typical record situation. Right. Um, all right. Do you want to talk Steamboat at all? I don't know if there's that much more to say, really, at this point. Do you have any further thoughts? I mean, not really. In hindsight, I'm glad it happened because I feel like even though it's annoying how much online back and forth there is after the fact, like every time it happens, I think collectively everyone starts to let go a little bit more and just have the attitude of like, well, they're like the rules are the rules and the thing that's not a rule is not a rule and it's doesn't actually have to be that complicated. <laughs> right. So I think it was kind of nice to just rip the bandaid off, you know, and like, yeah, just get it out there. Like, this is a race. You can do whatever you want. Like, I don't care what you do. You don't care. Like there's a few people who still maybe care, but like, I think in the end, hopefully this helps them like get over that and realize that like you can race it however you want, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, so I think it's cool. You know, it's maybe that encourages people from other disciplines to come give it a try. Cause like, gravel supposed to be really inclusive but it has all these had all these unwritten rules and all this kind of weird shit and i think like maybe other mountain bikers were scared to come do it or like yeah you know like that and so i think having it just be more of like a free-for-all like best man win i think is almost a little more of an inclusive attitude like yeah like what if you know someone is showing up that's never done a gravel race how are they supposed to know that like you're supposed to stop when someone says stop like yeah. I mean, I know it, but I just didn't want to do it. So I think it's good to show that, like, you don't have to follow these unwritten rules, you know? Um, so, yeah. I think it, it's funny, too. I was talking to Standish after the race, and he's like, I did this last year, and I just wasn't strong enough, or, like, there weren't enough people to make it matter, and no one cared. <laughs> but he literally yeah. did that last year at Steamboat. He just rode. He took a pack, took an early flyer, kind of rode like an idiot, so he didn't stay away that long because he was solo but i mean he had the same yeah. plan no one gave a shit <laughs> right so if it encourages more moves like that too then that's cool because it just like makes the sport better you know yeah like those three guys who got away like if they 
like if we wouldn't have stopped and they would have stopped, like we would have brought them back quicker and just would have changed the dynamic. And I think that's part of the cool thing with gravel racing is there's like anything can, anything goes, you know? Totally. And I've, it's interesting too, how so much is dependent on the course, like for crusher, like if you carried, if you started with six bottles, it would suck. Like for sure you would be slower. <laughs> yeah. And it then, just wouldn't work because it, like you're going to lose so much time with yeah. all that extra weight that like, it just doesn't make sense. So it's also, you have to like, think about it. You know, the course, if someone rocks up the crusher. So especially if you have a climber, someone light, you know, that, that extra 10 pounds for them is going to be huge. Totally. Or it's like maybe Matt beers, someone who's a big rider, the huge FTP made for him. He it's worth, it's worth giving him a little bit more of a gap going into the climb and being, and making sure he can making sure he skips the aid stations. Maybe that's an advantage for him. And that's a risk he's willing to take, but like, there's no way in hell I carry an extra 10 pounds at a race like that. So I think, it's cool that like you can kind of balance it. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about if someone tried to ride straight through unbound or something, that would be completely idiotic. Also, there's just no way you could do it. You could, you could probably make it through like the first aid station. If you somehow, if it was cool enough and you were like, maybe have like four bottle cages, I don't know how you do it, but it'd be, well, and also also those those pits are so fast that like, yeah, it's just not even worth it. You don't want to be alone anyway. So, Right. It just, it's a race like that. It doesn't work, but you know, these other ones where it's kind of a cool tactic, you know, you decide what tires you're going to run you decide all this other shit. Like why shouldn't you decide a fueling strategy too? Yep. hundred percent. So cool, man. Um, were you more shattered after unbound or lead boat? Definitely. Uh, man, just different. I think lead boat overall, like it, I think it was a bigger effort, right? Then you factor in like the altitude and like all that. Yeah. But they're definitely pretty pretty close, I think. I mean, it took about the same amount of time like away. Like I took a few days off after Unbound and it was a pretty chill week. And then after Lead Boat, it took two days fully off and then, you know, basically didn't do anything until today. So, yeah. Um, I'd say I treat, I respect them equally in terms of re- recovery. And uh, yeah, but I mean, that bigger effort, even if you were like, I think the one day big effort does hit you a little bit harder in some ways. It's just like the same way that like 24 hours of El Pueblo like really destroyed me, but a 24 hour week is really nothing. Like it's a relatively easy week, you know? Yeah, sure. So it's, it's like kind of, they're different when you do something really big all at once. I mean, you know what it's like, you just absolutely wrecked. Like I couldn't even walk after El Pueblo, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so totally. it's like, yeah. 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 Good my coach efforts. had uh my coach had on my plan a three and a half hour ride with a couple of thresholds and like five VO twos at the end or something for Wednesday. And I was just like, no, no, that, can't do it. I'm probably yeah. not doing that this week, let alone Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I feel like we went uh pretty deep at the end of steamboat, you know, like, do you cramp? Do you, cause you were cramping hard. at the end of steamboat. Did you, uh, do you cramp frequently? Uh, not a ton. Like it does happen. Like I'm always kind of ready for it, you know? Um, but like, I think I always seem to cramp after like a sprint like that. Like, I feel yeah. like, like after a long, hard race, I think it just like fully like depletes everything. And you just yeah. start to, your body's just freaking out. Like why are you sprinting after just doing like sweet spot and tempo the last 12 hours of riding, you know, and all totally. of a sudden you decide to do like 1300 Watts, you know? So I think it just like freaks, but hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Cool, man. Um, what else? Any other thoughts? I don't know. Back on Steamboat, I guess. Like, 
it's pretty cool. It's cool that all the mountain bikers kind of had the same yeah. thought in terms of like riding till the end. I mean, you know, like the the negative racing thing is pretty frustrating. So I think it's cool that like at least there's a good group of us that has I don't know the same mentality. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, dude. Same. What I literally don't understand is why you wouldn't just roll through and be in the wind for literally one and a half seconds and just keep the momentum. Like personally, I do not care if you start taking one second pulls, just don't screw up the rotation. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's what really frustrated me too. It's like, it's really like, you're already here. You might as well just literally take two hard pedal strokes, get out of the wind. And then if you want to sit on, like you can go sit in the back. Like, I'm sure you're going to get a little bit of shit for just sitting on in the back, but we get it. Like if you're cracked and maybe you can come back later and help, but at least don't like disrupt what, what we're trying to do. Right. Especially when there's not a teammate, if there's a teammate in the, in the break or something and you're doing that, it's still, I won't be happy with it, but I'll like, at least understand it. Right. But when there is no teammate up the road and you're trying to disrupt the chase, then like, I don't understand what you're doing. It's not in anyone's best interest. So I guess I, I can't understand that like school of thought at all. Yeah. Yeah, and back to the mountain biker thing. I mean, technically Lance did have a teammate up the road. He had Freddie up the road, and he still, until he got dropped, he still rolled through. Like if anyone had an excuse to camp at the back, it was him, but he still didn't miss rolling through. So Right, yeah, he was still pulling through. So Yeah, Yeah, if you you end up going to the road next year, I'll be curious to hear whether you learn some things just about the mentality in that regard, like... Cause it like it it just blew my mind that it was a couple of world tour guys that were the most, not the most, but they were pretty like some of the worst offenders in in terms of messing up the rotation. I was yeah. just like, is this how like is this how y'all do it? If so, damn, Ke- like Keegan's in for it. It's gonna be a lot of annoying races. <laughs> yeah, and I don't I don't know what that. And maybe it's different when you have a team. Like maybe the whole dynamic yeah. is different. But even then, like, I just can't think of a scenario like watching races where that really happens. You know, like you watch any world tour race and like you don't really see that kind of shit going on. So I guess I don't understand why, why, why it happens. Yeah. I think part of um, it, it must be some of it is just there's more pressure because it's only them to get a result. And they're just like, came all the way over here. I got to get something. I mean, maybe, but if that results fourth, no one's no one's really going to care. So Dude, honestly, back to that, right? I like know. when there's the podium is gone. Like, what are we racing for at this point? Might as well try and get that podium or die trying. Yeah, hundred so. percent. Cool, man. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing what develops. Um, hope it hope it happens. There's a lot of us that would love to love to see it, yeah, including thanks. including your buddies. Art in the world tour. I know Sep would, and I assume you've chatted with Quinn some too. I bet he would be pretty stoked. Yeah, um, be so. be pretty cool. We'll see. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for uh, late night pod. Yeah. No. Thanks for having me on, man. Hannah Otto, Leadville champion. Oh my gosh. But you're already in Europe. <laughs> How do you feel? I'm still incredibly happy. Um, Yeah, just still on cloud nine and really trying to use that to propel me into what's next. Like you said, I'm already in Europe, so I'm preparing for the world championship now. 
So on one hand, I could let my high from Leadville be a little short lived because I turned around so quick and moved here. But instead, I'm just going to ride the high all the way into the race. I think it'll help. That's awesome. Um, so when I saw you, we ran into each other the day before Leadville and um, you we were teammates. So I know you pretty well. And you are not someone that indulges in excuses or like hedging pre-race in regards to how your performance may be I, you just characteristically you seem like a really confident racer that's been doing this a while and and knows the game and knows it's okay to have ba- bad races know it's okay to get injured all that sort of thing but you very bluntly just said i'm just gonna go out there i have no idea what happens i really jacked up my shoulder last weekend and my expectations are tempered for that reason um can you give folks a little behind the scenes of what happened the week before and why your mindset was very different going into Leadville this year? Totally. Uh, for a couple of weeks leading into the race, actually into Leadville, I had had a couple tough races for a variety of reasons. But like you said, I know there's tough races. It's not, you know, you just move on. Um, but the week before, it was capped off with at the World Cup at Mount Sinan, I crashed really hard and I injured my shoulder, um, which then le- led me into the week before Leadville with, I spoke with three different doctors and a physical therapist. Um, and I found out that I have a grade two AC joint separation. So Wednesday before Leadville, I could not lift my arm past shoulder height at all. Um, and the doctor said, well, I guess all the way up to Leadville, just ride indoors. Just don't stress it. Just see what happens. And so I hadn't even tested my shoulder to know how it would be, to know what to expect. And so that's why it was pretty much just a full surrender going into Leadville, having no idea where I was at, if I was going to be able to respond to power line was my biggest concern. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I think that that actually helped me out just lowering expectations and entering with a completely open mind, I think was the best thing I could have done on that day. Yeah. Um, so you didn't ride outside until Thursday. I didn't ride outside until Friday. Oh my God. What? (laughs) I spun on the road the day before Leadville. That was it. Jeez. Um, yeah, I mean, for those that didn't see the crash, Nicole and I were watching live, and it was on the start loop of, of the Mont St. Anne World mm-hmm. Cup, right? And it was just kind of classic, like, grassy hill start loop section. Um, and it was a little hard to tell what happened, but I, I, it seemed like your back wheel maybe slid out and you kind of high-sided. But, I mean, you fully, from what we could see, it looked like you just went straight to face slash shoulder. Um and we, in the moment, for sure didn't think you were going to finish the race. And also we're wondering if you're about to get hauled off the course. Like we were really, really concerned. It was about as, as hard a crash as I've seen in an XC race. Um, but you did get up and did you finish top 20, I think? Like past yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I finished 20. And so I squeezed in for that top 20 result. Yeah. Jeez. Um, 
I before we talk about Leadville a little bit more, can you talk about just getting through the rest of that World Cup? Yeah, I well, when I crashed, I did hit my head, so that was my first concern is I was very focused on how do I feel? Is this dangerous? Is it safe to continue? Um, so I did actually take a little while to evaluate that situation and make sure that it was actually safe to continue on. And I felt very confident at that point that I didn't have a concussion. So I started to go for it. And then off the very first drop of that lap, when I hit impact is when I realized that my shoulder was really messed up. Uh, um, but you never know how bad and you have so much adrenaline going through you. And I was still, you know, I still, it was a really important race for me. And so I had really big goals and I had it in my mind that I could still salvage something. And so I just kept chugging along and I even had the thought, okay, I can manage this now, but if it starts raining, it's going to be a problem because the hardest thing was if my bike did start to slide out from under me, I didn't have any strength in my shoulder to pull it back. Mm. And so spoiler alert, it started raining super hard. And so because I didn't have any strength to pull it back, I continued to crash fairly frequently throughout the race. But luckily I stayed safe enough um and was able to finish so don't know if it's a i would recommend doing it to someone else maybe not the smartest decision but i was lucky enough that it ended up working okay for me did it cross your mind to pull out of the race with an eye towards the rest of the season it did that was that was really the only out that i was giving myself as i kept wondering is this going to impact the rest of my season Um, And I was just hopeful that any pain I was experiencing, I wasn't making it worse. And luckily that was the case. And that's why I saw so many doctors after it was to get the guarantee that if I lined up for Leadville, I wasn't sacrificing the rest of my season or even future seasons. And that's what the doctor told me is you have clearance to race because you can't really make this any worse. Mm -hmm. It's just going to hurt a lot. Um, and I'm okay with pain, but I'm not okay with, and I don't recommend to anyone doing anything that could cause future damage because you just don't know what your goals and desires are going to be six months from now, two years from now, lifetime from now. Totally. So how, how did Leadville play out? I have to assume it was sort of this like gradual recognition of this is going to go a lot better today than mere survival. How about that? So yeah. give me a quick blow by blow. And, and how was Powerline, by the way, go descending Powerline? Um, yeah, so a quick blow by blow is I think I started, you know, fairly cautious. Um, I tried to just think about the race as if I was healthy and then adapt when I, if, when, if and when I figured out I wasn't. So I knew from previous experience that I felt like the race didn't start until Columbine. And so I went out fairly conservative at the start. And when Alexis went off the front, it wasn't really a concern to me because I had seen that happen last year and it wasn't the winning move. Where did she take off? St. Kevin's really early. And it was, yeah. And it was pretty clear that she had, um, when she went off at St. Kevin's, it was pretty clear that she had a much faster pace. It wasn't really a gradual ride away. She was just away from the group. And then there was a group of 
maybe me and five other women, four other women, something like that. Um, and we went down power line and that, yeah, it was definitely very apprehensive. It was okay. There was a little bit of pain, but nothing that was going to stop me. So actually Rose said to me at the bottom, Hannah, you made it. The hardest is behind you. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. So sweet. And also such a funny thing to say so early in Leadville, but she knew what my story was for that day. So that really was, I felt like the hardest was behind me. I had lost some time. Um, Sophia had ridden away. I wasn't able to match her pace on that. And so she was about a minute off the front then from our group. Mm-hmm. But even then I felt like really what played to my favor was understanding that across those slots, my goal was not to bridge the gap to her. Yep. I didn't really, we could see her way off in the distance, but I never found myself wondering, have we closed it? Are we getting closer? I was just fully focused on basically Columbine and coming back. I didn't really even allow myself to spend mental energy until then. And so it wasn't till Columbine that Sarah and I started climbing Columbine a little bit ahead of the rest of the group. And Sarah and I set a pretty good pace. And then maybe 10, 15 minutes in, I looked back and realized that Sarah had fallen off the pace. And that was the first time I thought, huh, I must be riding pretty well um that was kind of the first and it still wasn't you know oh my gosh it was just oh i'm having a good day um and i kind of took note of what effort and what power I was doing to do that and just locked into that pace and when it started getting really steep towards the goat trails i turned a corner and i saw alexis and that was the moment where it really hit me oh my gosh I very likely just set the fastest time on Columbine today. Yeah. And um, even that, like just that thought alone was so thrilling to me. It wasn't even about winning. It was just, wow, I probably set the fastest split on this climb. What a great day. I have great legs. So then I caught Alexis. I caught her right as we crested the top of Columbine she got in the descent ahead of me and she got about 40 seconds on me on that descent coming down. And once again, I just thought 40 seconds, I put three minutes on, she had three minutes on me going into Columbine. So I caught her three minutes on Columbine. I can catch 40 seconds across the next four hours. Mm -hmm. And so I just pretty much gradually reeled her in. And then we started trading poles on the way back. And it became obvious to me that, her poles were a little bit weaker at the mm-hmm. time. And so I knew that she was likely hurting more. And that's when I had to take the analysis. Do I sit in and cherish the fact that I'm feeling stronger or do I go it alone and risk being caught later due to an ambitious move? Mm-hmm. Um, and basically that decision came down to, do I think that the pace that we're going is ultimately going to be the winning pace and I did not. I felt like we were going to be caught. And so I took that, that absolute pacing robot of Rose exa- just lurking. Was, <laughs> yes. That was my exact thought. I thought Rose is the queen of power line. She will catch us there. <laughs> and so I, at about somewhere between mile 65 and 70, I took one pole that was just a little bit harder to see what the response would be. And I got a gap. And Mm -hmm. so I just 
went off to front and for the next 35 or so miles i rode pretty much entirely alone and just across really, the pavement section and everything i had a couple men that i was able to catch on to but the issue was i was catching them mm-hmm. and i was catching mm-hmm. them you know I, I couldn't see anyone when i started so when i did catch them it meant i caught minutes on them and mm-hmm. so i knew that it wasn't a pace i could sustain um without risk being caught and so i might stay with man for you know five minutes but then i'd have to go my own way again so it was pretty much alone um and yeah i was definitely riding scared because i knew that rose would likely be coming it was pretty funny because she wasn't the person that i had most recently left but i knew she was the one who would be tracking me down and there were a couple times throughout that that i caught myself thinking what if I win today? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And it was super <laughs> emotional. Like yeah. even out there, I would catch myself like, what if I win today? And I would like almost like skip a breath because it just was such a, it wasn't what I had expected standing on that start line. Um, and so I really, because it was such an exciting thing, I really had to focus on staying in the moment. And my main thought process was, to focus on the experience, what an experience it was to be in the lead at any point. And so I really tried to cherish every mile that I quote unquote held that title as the Leadville leader Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't know if I would be the Leadville winner, but I could at least say I led Leadville. Um, And so that was really exciting to me. And I held on to that pretty much that entire 35 miles. Wow. That's so cool. Uh, I have to assume you consider this your biggest competitive career achievement at this point. I think so. Yeah. 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 So incredible. So happy for you. Thank um, you. And now you're, I mean, no rest for the weary. You're in Europe preparing for XC Worlds. Yeah. 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 I left on Wednesday. So it was a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, and just managing interviews and requests and all of the fallout of having a big win while simultaneously trying to prepare for arguably the biggest mountain bike annual mountain bike race in the world. It's quite the <laughs> quite the double header. Um, where yeah. did where did this le- where did this win leave you in the Grand Prix overall? I'm fourth right now, but it's super tight, right? Just a handful of points. It is. Yeah. I think I'm fourth, but first is only five points up. I think so. Where our group is pretty close. Yeah. Are you allowing yourself to, uh, think about that at all at this point? Only to the extent that it excites me. I think that's the key is I think it's good to have that motivation and you should be excited about the races that you're doing. But if Leadville taught me anything, it's that we can't control what's so far ahead of us. And so letting go is actually the best way to succeed. Um, And I think that's a tendency I've always had is to try and look ahead. If I do this, then this, then this, then this. And it can be really hard when on step three, that doesn't turn out and your flow chart takes another direction. And so I'm trying to be a little bit more flexible with my thought process. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. 
All right, Hannah. Well, we both have places to be here um, in a couple of minutes, so we should probably call it there. But I'm so glad we got to catch up briefly. Thanks for carving out a little bit of time and soak it in. So happy for you. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for listening today. Thanks to all of y'all that helped make this episode possible. Your participation is really what sets these apart. So thank you for participating. Also, a big thank you to Hammerhead for supporting this show and for creating the Karoo 2, the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today. As I talked about at the top of the show, the climber feature is something that I rely on a lot, even in racing, actually in some ways, especially in racing. Um, But I'm not the only one that is constantly ranting and raving about the Karoo 2. It was named Bicycling Magazine Editor's Choice in GPS cycling computers for the past two years running and continues to collect accolades throughout the sport. The first time you pick up a Karoo 2, it's pretty striking just right off the bat that this is a different GPS than anything else available out there. The touchscreen display is super intuitive, responsive, beautiful full-color display so that your navigation experience is always on point and very much like a smartphone. Um, You'll be able to see your data clearly even in rugged conditions, which is why the Karoo 2 is along for the ride with me, regardless of the kind of ride, even if it's just a spin down to the grocery store. And right now you can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Just visit hammerhead.io and use promo code STASH, all caps S-T-A-C-H-E, at checkout. Add both to your cart. Use that promo code STASH at hammerhead.io to get the free heart rate strap. Big thank you also to 1UPUSA, the best bike racks in the world. They're now a personal brand partner and also big supporter of the podcast. They make award-winning products 100% made in America, and they come with a lifetime warranty, which is pretty rare these days, and come with free shipping on large orders. I got myself the heavy-duty double rack and then uh, added on the additional two bike rack trays so you can increase bike capacity by up to two so you have a a four bike max Um, and just the elegance with which these racks are designed is is really incredible the modular design where you can just add on extra trays is so cool Um, the rack arm closure system has become world famous Uh, it's just so wonderfully engineered but is also so dang durable Each one of the bike rack spots has a 50-pound upper limit, so you can carry up to 200 pounds worth of bikes on a four-bike rack. Obviously, not really a consideration with Svelte race bikes, but with e-bikes these days, DH bikes, that sort of thing, it's very nice to have. You can go to oneup-usa.com to check out more. Highly recommend one-up racks. Lastly, big thank you to Lifetime Events for making this episode possible. They're a really big believer in these recap episodes, and they wouldn't happen without Lifetime support. Um, Obviously, Lifetime just has an incredible portfolio of events these days. Obviously, the Leadville 100 being one of the crown jewels. Coming up on my schedule, I have the Schwamigan 40 coming up in mid-September, which is the longest-running mountain bike race in the world. Crazy. Uh, and then I'll wrap up my season with Big Sugar Gravel, October 22nd. Um, if you would like to check out what 
is on the schedule for lifetime events. There's no shortage of options, whether you're a cyclist or a runner. Really incredible running events in their portfolio of events as well. The Leadville 100 run just happened this weekend. You can go to my.lifetime.life slash athletic events to check out an event near you, one that suits your fancy, one that sounds like an awesome challenge. Thank you all so much for listening today. Thank you to Lily McKelvin for editing and producing the show. And we will catch you next week.